1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the
2: best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. So who would have ever think that the CIA has active bases in Ukraine? Well, that's right. Joining us now is Colonel Douglas McGregor. Uh, he is part of Our Country, Our dot com. That is our country. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, our country. Your choice. Well, I guess it's the same way. The why can go both way. ourcountryourchoice.com dot com. Colonel, welcome back to the program.
1: Hi, right, good to see you, Charlie.
2: So, <laughs> how, uh, unpack this New York Times article. It's not too big of a shock for you, but it seems like there's a drip campaign that the CIA is actively involved on the ground in Ukraine.
1: Well, it's interesting that the, the Central Intelligence Agency allowed this to be leaked through the New York Times. They they do that uh, when they feel it's useful. Uh, they played a major role, as you know, in installing uh, the current government in power in 2014 and have been actively involved in Ukraine ever since, essentially instigating war with Russia. Uh, so while you have had the massive conventional military buildup on one side, you've had the CIA on the uh, counterintelligence and, uh, frankly, uh, terrorist side trying to create and cultivate trouble inside Russia itself hasn't worked very well. But it was interesting to see that these bases were identified from which they could launch their campaigns. And at the same time, uh, one wonders why the CIA would do this. And normally when they do it, it's out of desperation. And I think that's where we are. Uh, The CIA is acutely sensitive to the fact that the Ukrainians have lost the war. The place is falling apart. The government is an empty facade. And enough people on the Hill have figured it out that they don't want to waste any more money on the proposition.
2: So you say that uh, the the war is effectively over, you know, Zelensky is doing his best to push back against that. Can you just give us some of the data from the ground that reinforces your argument that this this war is effectively over? And does that mean you think Russia will take the capital?
1: Well, remember that uh, when the civil war ended in the United States, there was still uh, skirmishing and fighting that went on in various places for another 14 or 15 months. We normally date the end of the civil war to Lee's surrender, but in fact, it was still still fighting. What you have going on in Ukraine is somewhat similar. Right now, there are 110,000 Russian troops that are headed north and west from Kupyansk. And presumably, they're going to go up and and take control of Kharkov. And at the same time, you've got about 90,000 troops that are on their way into Dnipro. Dnipro is a city right on the uh, Dnieper, The bridges are intact, and this would allow them to cross very easily and head south to take Odessa. So I think the handwriting is on the wall. The Ukrainian armed forces have effectively fallen apart. They've now admitted to more than 500,000 dead. A new figure was cited to me earlier this morning of 520,000 dead, probably higher. At least 500,000 wounded. And that means that you probably have a million wounded. And most recent reports coming out suggest that there's chaos and terror inside Ukraine because the government in Kiev is using the secret police to essentially keep people in line and executing anybody that shows any interest in ending the war. It's a pretty grim situation. It's, it's the end. Ukraine is effectively on its way out. It's going, it's, it's gone with a wind, you might say
2: yeah and so you it's amazing ukraine claims they only have thirty-one thousand dead ukrainians and so uh
1: well the man's standing on a mountain of lies charlie i mean we've been talking about this for months over two years we've never had any truth come out of the place the cia and mi6 in london have worked tirelessly to spin out narratives that were fundamentally false in order to sustain the massive influx of cash into the proposition and to make, make believe that uh, there was something good happening in Ukraine, there never was. This is a catastrophe for the Ukrainian people. Their nation's being destroyed. This should have stopped months ago, probably should have stopped in March or April of 2022 had we not intervened to, uh, you know, queer the deal and ensure that this thing continued. So, you know, what are we, what are we supposed to say at this point? The Russians are going to go forward. They're going to regain the places they said for the very beginning were Russian. That includes Kharkov. And Odessa, real question is the one that you raised. Will they go into Kiev? I don't think they want to, and they certainly don't want to fight in that city because from their standpoint, Kiev is the equivalent of Jerusalem in Orthodox Christianity for Orthodox Christians in Ukraine and in Russia.
2: Well, and it, once it will happen gradually, then suddenly is what I think is where we're heading towards, is that. Once this once this starts to thaw, it's going to become a pretty quick mover. I want I want you to respond to Chuck Schumer, who uh, says that uh, Speaker Johnson, the fate of all Ukrainian civilization is on Speaker Johnson. Play cut sixty one. And so we said to the speaker, get it done. I told him this is one of the moments. I said I've been around here a long
1: time. It's maybe four or five times that history is looking over your shoulder, and if you don't do the right thing. Whatever the immediate politics are, you will regret it. I told him two years from now and every year after that, because really it's in his hands. It's in his hands. Colonel McGregor. Uh, That statement is absurd. First of all, I see no evidence that Chuck Schumer cares what happens to the Ukrainians at, at all. Undoubtedly, he's connected to Zelensky as much as he is to Netanyahu. But those people don't give a damn about uh, the Ukrainian nation or the Ukrainian people. The best thing that can happen for Ukraine is for an immediate ceasefire and a territorial settlement that would allow people to dig themselves out. In the meantime, his friend and co-conspirator Zelensky is selling as much of Ukraine as he possibly can to BlackRock and their subsidiaries. So this is just a huge, a huge lie and a misrepresentation of the facts.
2: So I want you to repeat something you've said on our program before the the one-liner that Mitt Romney and others will use is that putin is going to march all the way across europe is there any evidence of that and what is your response to that argument well let's let's go all the way back to 2022 when the uh, russians
1: first intervened in eastern ukraine they they never had more than 90,000 combat troops on the ground this is certainly the case all the way up through march when i say combat i'm talking about direct fire And the reason was very simple. The Russian military wasn't very large. And then secondly, the goals that that Putin had were always very limited. He wanted to ensure that the Russians who lived in eastern Ukraine were going to be treated equally before the law and uh, put an end to the oppression that was directed at them. And at the same time, he wanted to have a neutral Ukraine. He didn't want NATO on his border because he was afraid that we would position missiles that could do enormous damage to his own deterrent inside Russia. That was all true then. I think it's still largely true. And today, the Russian military is poised for an 800,000 man plus up and a mobilization because he's beginning to look at what's happening in the West and he's deciding, I may not have any choice. I may actually have to cross the river and go further West. But as far as a war is concerned, it's the last thing that he wants. He's never wanted it. And, And I don't think we need it. And that's why I question Schumer and others who seem to have done everything in their power to bring it on with Russia when we are absolutely unprepared for it. We're not prepared to fight in the Middle East. We're not prepared to fight in eastern Ukraine. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
0: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now.
2: 800-702-5400.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
2: The, uh, The head of NATO says that Ukraine will eventually join NATO. I mean, if Ukraine still exists as some sort of a country, I want you to respond, Colonel McGregor, to kind of how we have marched nato eastward and some of the war hawks in dc say oh we never made that promise we never said we weren't going to expand nato can can you help correct the historical record here
1: well first of all let's keep in mind that i suppose at some point in 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 alignment with this expectation that men will have children that some man someday in some universe will give birth that's about as uh, that's that's as far as I'll go on this notion of Ukraine joining NATO. NATO will be lucky to survive. In fact, I don't think it will over the long haul. Now, as far as the history is concerned, we can go all the way back to the discussions that were held and the documentation that exists, in which we reassured the Soviets that we would not advance beyond the oder neisse In other words, the border that Germany has today with Poland. We threw that. Away very, very quickly because Clinton saw value domestically as well as externally in, in expanding the alliance. But I think the most important point was made by Ambassador Burns, who is now the director of the CIA. He wrote a memorandum, which you could go on, on the, you know, the, the computer, or you could find it, search for it, read it. And it was said, no means no. And he warned very clearly, absolutely unambiguously. That if we insist on pushing the borders of NATO and eventually encompassing Ukraine, which is what was under discussion at the Budapest conference at the time, the NATO conference, then we would end up at, at war with Russia. He made that very clear he's the director of the CIA right now inside the administration, so you know that was that was unambiguous at that point. We still pressed ahead until we finally got this twenty fourteen coup. Staged by the CIA that, that rid Ukraine of Yanukovych, who we did not like because we saw him as potentially pro-Russian, not marching Ukraine into NATO. And we've always taken the position, Charlie, that we're omnipotent, that Russia's weak. Its economy is fragile. Its people don't support its government. We can remove Putin. Come on. Think about those things. That's the nonsense. It's been repeated ad nauseum. And what do we found out? Russia has an abundance of resources, mineral, agricultural, all of which make Russia a fortress. And on top of that, they have a very large and effective arms industry, a manufacturing base that can turn out equipment faster than we can, and turns out, in many cases, better technology than we do. Russia isn't going anywhere. That was Putin's point in his interview with Tucker Carlson. You know, we were founded, he said, in 932. We've been here ever since. We're not going away. He's right. If anybody's going to leave the area, it'll be us. We don't live in Europe. This was a, a capricious, nonsensical attempt by a small minority of people who thought they could bully their way into Ukraine and eventually bring down Russia, strip it, strip Russia of its resources, and leave it a divided ruin. The opposite has occurred. We're in trouble. Our European allies are in serious economic trouble. We are not going to march anybody into Ukraine at this point. No one wants
2: to fight there. So, Colonel, you mentioned you kind of briefly touched on this. I do think it's interesting that the Democrat Party has has just become an overwhelming party of warmongers. How did this happen? It it, it never used to be this unanimous. There was always Hillary Clinton that, you know, that was a neocon. But it's just completely taken over the Democrat Party. In in your analysis, how did this occur?
1: Washington is donor-occupied territory, uh, with very few exceptions in the House and the Senate. I mean very few exceptions. Uh, Donors, wealthy oligarchs, people with billions of dollars at their disposal who want to shape policymaking in the United States have bought the House and the Senate and the White House. Everyone being appointed, everyone serving right now with very few exceptions is what you described. They're part of this uniparty. You know, Victoria Nuland was on television, uh, over the weekend telling everyone that the $61 billion was great news for the United States because much of that money would go to 40 states where our munitions and, and military equipment was being manufactured. And wasn't that a great thing? There was no discussion of the possibility that we could be end up, end up in a major war anywhere or the damage we were doing to humanity with this sort of business. And I think that's what you've got on the hill. Oh, this is great. We're all going to get rich together. The American people are asleep. As long as they don't, you know, become the targets themselves, hey, we can probably get away with anything we want.
2: And so, Colonel, and then in your analysis, it is more money-driven or profit-driven than even ideological. I think there are some ideological zealots, though, that believe in the continuation of the neoliberal world order.
1: Oh, well, I'm sure that's true. But to a large extent, I think it's an excuse to maintain these uh, bases overseas. And, you know, I was talking to someone earlier and I said, you realize that what we've established all the way around the world and specifically in the Middle East and Europe right now are what I call little pearl harbors. All of these forces are exposed in forward positions. We live in a different world today. We can't rapidly reinforce any of them and all of them can be targeted and destroyed. So what we've got are lots of little Pearl Harbors. Now, that may make some people in Washington happy because they think anything that brings on a broader war will ultimately enrich them. They don't consider the possibility that it could destroy us. And again, all of this comes at the expense of defending our own country, taking care of our own people. And instead, we're trying to figure out how we're going to hand people credit cards or debit cards worth 10000 bucks that just showed up here who are committing crimes all over our country. It's, it's one of the most bizarre points in human history that I think I've ever, ever encountered.
2: It's morally twisted at the least. And so the Congress is up for continuation of war funding right now for Ukraine. It's probably in some ways going to pass through the House. I mean, the, the warmongers almost always win. Long term, though, to build a movement where we can actually have the people's voice represented Colonel, I'm sure you you are encouraged, forget D.C., that the American people have shifted their opinion on this war so quickly and so dramatically.
1: Oh, I think so. And I think you're absolutely right. Victoria Nuland tried to convince everyone that Americans were going to benefit and therefore they were supportive of all this money going to Ukraine. They're not. And they're also beginning to question the massive influx of funds to the Israelis, because what the Israelis are doing now has nothing to do with defense. They're waging a very different campaign for expulsion and murder of of every Arab that lives in Gaza and potentially will go on to uh, the West Bank. And now they're massing forces to attack Hezbollah. We're on the road to a regional war in the Middle East that we don't want to fight. It's not in our interest. It isn't in the interest of anybody living in the Middle East. So this is not a problem limited to Ukraine. This is a global problem. There is no strategy, Charlie. There's no strategy that says these things are important to us and these other things are not. There's no sense of proportionality. There's no sense of the limitations of our power, the damage to our currency, the weakness, the underlying weakness of the economy. None of that is is figuring prominently. Everything is opportunistic. And the people on the Hill are voting opportunistically. They're voting for things they think will enrich them. But they're going to do enormous
2: damage to us. And they are doing damage to us. Colonel, thank you for your time. Everyone check out OurCountryOurChoice.com. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Charlie. And thanks for everything you do. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Send them to our website, TownHallReview.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us.